0: Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out podcast. I'm Charlie Folkstead, joined by Reed Tingley. Reed, how how do you feel? Can you give me like a numerical like evaluation about how you feel? Like one to ten, how how terrible was this loss?
1: Uh, is ten the most terrible? Yeah. It's like uh it's like a eight. Maybe seven or an eight, yeah. For me, I've felt this way many times before in my college football career. I'm sure we, all Ducks fans listening, will know the the other games I'm talking about. But feel pretty <laughs> bad for sure. How about you?
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty much where I'm at too. Um, this is not a way of saying we told you so. I would just like to add that qualifier first off um, when I say that I mean we've been expecting a loss for a while now uh, it's something we've talked about quite a bit um, again we we just kept repeating that like numbers wise it's very likely that unless we s- improve significantly in certain areas we were going to drop a game um, and I think Last, I almost said last night, last afternoon, yesterday afternoon, was kind of the perfect storm of bad things occurring. Um, yeah. Obviously, Moorhead out, that was, <laughs> we never know, we'll never know exactly how much of a difference that made, but I think it was pretty clear that it made some difference. Um, yeah, in a in game, the game as close
1: as this was.
0: Yeah, especially that. A um, lot of key guys out, or... Um, being thrown out. Of course, TreQuez Bridges, Bridges first play of the game on the goddamn kickoff. Uh, gets ejected for targeting. We can talk about all the calls and stuff if you want. And in fact, do you want to like? Do Do we want to get our complaints about refereeing out of the way right now?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Just kind of acknowledge it. I mean, I for me, it's. It was just horrible, especially that last drive. It's just those three calls, the KT targeting, the doorless roughing the passer that where the McKee is just standing up. Like he's completely fine. It didn't he probably didn't even feel it. He like got absolutely grazed. And then the pass interference is maybe I mean, there's contact there, but it's so frustrating because that's just not how they called it all night, and and yeah. we all know this. I'm sure you, we've all heard people say this exact same thing about those calls already. But yeah, and they they, they didn't, were so I mean, bad.
0: They weren't even consistent with it on the next play from scrimmage, either. Yeah, where uh, Stanford was probably even more guilty of that. Um, I would also yeah. add to that the the non false start call. Uh, I don't know if you saw this video, but um, right, I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the weird play. I believe it's where Stanford uh throws it inside the um. It was a first down pass. Uh, I believe it was McKee's pass to Bradley Archer, um, in on that last drive, that got yeah. them down to the. Well no, no, actually I think it was to year sec cuz it was the one where they got down to the 3 yard line, I believe. Um,
1: yeah. And and the ref lifts the flag out of his pocket, ready to call a false start. The entire defensive and offensive lines think there's a false <laughs> start and don't play. Yeah. And half of then, Morgan's secondary is
0: not really prepared. Yeah. Um, and then he just doesn't throw the flag. He just he just holds on to it, which is quite interesting we're not i mean i don't think we're we don't have enough conspiracy brain between us to think that this is some sort of job against port or against oregon but um it sure felt like it you
1: can't deny that uh well it's just i mean it's it for me it's just like the refs inserting themselves into the game like i don't understand how especially the the targeting call on Kayvon is on is it is like the letter of the law to a certain extent. And I know how touchy refs and uh, review crews are about contact to the head. And, you know, there obviously is a reason for that. But then the doorless one is just inserting yourself into the game for absolutely no reason. No one was upset about that play on Stanford's side.
0: No, even McKee wasn't. The quarterback,
1: <laughs> the quarterbacks, st- like, didn't get moved off of his spot or – move his head or anything like why is that why does that rule exist to prevent injuries to the quarterback after it and the quarterback was not injured at all and then the final pass interference is just how do you throw a flag on literally the last play of the game and it's just i hate it so much and i hate all the cliches people bring out about oh the officials didn't lose oregon the game it's not the official's fault. You can't blame the ref and stuff, you know. And and I get, like, and what we're going to talk about for the rest of the podcast once we flush this out of the way is, is you know, there's places Oregon could have been better. But, like, save me some of that because the refs literally did lose Oregon the game. You know, I mean, Oregon could have done other things to prevent it. But there's not a more, like, clear, definitive thing than – the clock literally hit zero on an incomplete pass, and because a ref inserted himself into the game with a bad call, he retroactively changed the result of the game.
0: Yeah, it's it's a pretty extreme example of this. And this is, again, there's another confluence of problems that cause the complaints about refereeing to kind of go unheard. Of course, like the obvious one being that we played like shit. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think right. either of us. Yeah, we're we're not denying that. Um, it was pretty clear to any Oregon fan, really any fan who watched the game, that um, this was not the number three team in the country on the field, uh, especially considering what one, two, 1 and two did earlier that day, um, or or during <laughs> the game. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, there, there's more than just that. It's it's not that there was one terrible call that screwed everything up. Um, again, it was multiple. It wasn't just that. Oh, yeah, we made some bad plays, but there were some bad calls too. No, as you're saying, the ga- we we literally won the game in right. a, at the end. Of, I mean, the clock hit zero, and we had more points. Um, and then right. a flag was thrown, and now it's you know a whole other thing. Um, there's also and- with the untimed down. Even I mean that one. Honestly, like I think the lack of offensive PI there is almost worse than the holding call that the play before. Before, uh, and again, we're just, just getting all this complaining out of the way now. But I, I mean, it's, I it falls say, upon I, deaf ears a lot of times. These complaints. Uh, yeah. Even though I think I, this I, is a very extreme
1: example. And I just I fucking hate playing against Stanford because their receivers and tight ends. Just go out there and create contact with cornerbacks and literally hold, try to push them an arm length away the entire time. But yeah. refs just always refuse to call offensive pass interference. Like literally, they will box yeah. out <laughs> our corners and like push them around, and will still make plays on the ball. I mean, shout out McHale. That dude was getting. Like offensive pi on most of the times yeah, he yeah. was in pass defense, and still they didn't complete a jump ball on him all day, I guess, except for the one that was ruled a touchdown, even though Mikhail stripped it. Um,
0: yeah. And oh, yeah. Over that...
1: And had the ball.
0: Again, that's a great example of a call that just goes totally unnoticed um, because of the other things we're stuck complaining about. I mean, that's not a touchdown. It's yeah. just not. I mean, yeah, it just he, isn't. it just he isn't. he never has control of the ball while he's in the end zone. It's I I don't understand how you call it that way.
1: Um, and also another thing to complain about Rod Gilmore just every oh, single Jesus time there's any 50-50 call or anything that was that was probably a you know sixty forty towards Oregon or whatever anything he's just like. Yeah, I think it. I think that probably goes Stanford's way. I think you just probably have to call that one Stanford's way. It's just so blatant
0: and so obvious. And I mean, How here's the thing: guy... the the other frustrating part is all every single one of those
1: 50-50 ones
0: went against Oregon. This entire game,
1: yeah. um, uh, the only one was the one first down call in the second quarter. Maybe that was that was really close. And where we stopped, and we McKee. got kind of a favorable. Yeah, we got kind of a favorable spot on that. But that was the one uh, refereeing thing that I thought, you know, was pretty close and, and maybe went Oregon's way.
0: Yeah, I could maybe see that. I mean, I, I thought he was short, of course I did. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a surprise there. But yeah, man, this just overall, I mean, again, Let's – maybe we can get into how the team played a little bit more here. Um, yeah, yeah. Once again, like the caveat being we did enough to win this game in regulation. Um, right. I think it was pretty – I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I felt it was almost obvious that we were going to lose once this went into overtime just because the those type of games are almost always decided by momentum. Um, and we had none of the momentum. So –
1: <laughs> yeah, I will say, I mean, I think that is true. Um, and this is another thing we'll get into. It's kind of, we're, we're going kind of reverse chronological, I guess, but that's, that's fine. But I do think going into overtime, it was a bit telling about the quarterback situation, that it's a big storyline, you know, how unconfident Oregon yeah. fans were, or at least I was. And that's supposed to be one of the benefits of having an experienced quarterback like Anthony Brown there is that he's supposed to be able to calm your team and get them ready to respond in a tough situation like that. Um, And that's kind of what we saw all day was some of the reasons why Anthony Brown is supposed to have earned this starting job mm-hmm. didn't show up. That was the issue. You know, I think it is it is really frustrating on one hand to have him miss Devin Williams deep, but at least you say, well, we knew that's, you know, the, the tough reality is we knew he's probably not hitting that throw. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that really hurts is when on that fourth and goal and the first half yeah, and and that's you couldn't pick a situation that more like that more specifically and accurately illustrated why you want anthony brown to be the starter then yeah okay fourth and goal this This is is when he became the starter last year yeah (laughs) right that's what we played him for in the usc game this is the guy you trust to make the right read in fourth and goal, keep his poise, not have a freshman mistake or whatever. And of course, as we know, he didn't do that. He made the wrong read. Um And it was just inexcusable play. I think for me, you know, I, I fans are super critical of him and I understand that. I think one thing I put out is is there is a difference between him being selfish and him just not putting enough trust in his teammates. I think the reason he holds that ball and it's become a bad pattern and habit of his is that I think he just wants to trust himself to get mm-hmm. it done. I don't exactly. think he's a guy who's obsessed with like, oh, I want the glory. I, I want to be the one in the end zone. But I think he just doesn't have enough faith in – Hey, fucking! I have an all-conference back and C.J. Verdell right next to me with a blocker there, like, and he can get it done too. But A.B. doesn't see that. He's just like, I, I can do it. I can do it. You know. Yeah. And um, and he didn't. And that cost the team seven points. And it, you know, obviously ended up being one of those plays that that cost Oregon the game.
0: Yeah, it really did. I mean in terms of the it, overall in terms of the most important plays of the game like which which plays had the biggest factor upon the outcome of the final score i mean that might be number 1 just in terms yeah. of you're you're on the 6 inch line um and you go back and shotgun and run a play which by the way i mean someone called me out for basically not saying this stuff when like you know, oh, under Chip, like, we never had this problem. Like, we never, uh, you know, nobody was mad that we were in shotgun on fourth and inches when we had Chip. Well, first of all, that was because we would always convert it, and so we didn't really need, you know, we we didn't really have a reason to think that. The second thing is that, um, and again, someone got really mad at me for saying this for some reason, but we have quite better offensive lines than we did back then. Um, this was kind of what we focused on in our preview of this game was that we should be winning the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Uh, I think it's safe to say the defensive line stepped up big time in the second half and that's probably the reason why we got back in the game. Um, and honestly the offensive line too in the second half is a lot better, but point being, I mean, if you put AB right on the ass of the center and just shove him in, like, He's getting six inches. Like you're you're getting into the end zone more times than not on a QB sneak from that range. Um, especially yeah, when you have such big dudes on the offensive line. Like this shouldn't be a difficult thing for us, converting a fourth and inches. I've never and the last thing I'll say is I've never been a fan of backing up into shotgun on fourth and inches. Even with I mean, even when Chip was making it work. It's like just just run the damn sneak. It's the most tried and true play in football. Like getting a yard on a sneak. That's all I see. Yeah, about
1: that. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I get where you're coming from, but that wasn't the issue ultimately. I mean, the play call was fine. We, the walking yeah, touchdown yeah. was there if you just execute it. I think. I mean, that's part of the issue with shotgun. I think is more so like you're you have a decision to make if you run in shotgun. Like there is a decision that you can fuck up in the moment. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're just going to, you're not going to make a mistake when you just line up and everyone just gets in a pile and pushes you forward. It's just about will, but there's no like mistake you can make in that moment. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, especially in this game, the difference is not only that, you know, you could argue Oregon's offensive line has improved um since the chip years and and depending on the year, you know there's a case there but more clearly, I think Stanford's defensive line is a lot worse than uh, than the early 2010s Stanford oh yeah defensive lines were um, oh, yeah. a lot worse uh, So overall that matchup is is a far bigger advantage for Oregon than it was back then um, in this game and yeah I mean however you slice it, Uh, you just need to convert there. I mean, the story of the first half is just, you know, Oregon goes out and they basically spot Stanford 10 points. Triquez Mm -hmm. has that, that targeting call that is just frustrating. It's kind of letter of the law. And uh, we all know kind of how frustrating um, targeting has become in college football. And, and the easy fix is you create something similar to the flagrant rule in the nba where it's a targeting one targeting two type of thing or or whatever yeah, it seems to be the consensus um, yeah and i think there's a good chance that gets done hopefully i mean just based on what everyone says but but regardless you do that you set Stanford up with a short field you know they have a scripted drive where they get get uh you know close to the goal line then we stop them um get that ball back quick, kind of.
0: Yeah, and real quick, I I want to talk about these opening drives, especially in this game. Um, Yeah. There's a few things that stood out to me. The first one was tackling, or lack thereof by Oregon. Um, Something that we've copied from uh, Richard Johnson before and that we like to say on this show is that, I mean, football is still about blocking and tackling, no matter how you slice it. Um, And we were not tackling well. Especially yeah. in the first quarter, um, even on that first drive, you're talking about. I mean, I want to say it's one of the first plays of the game. Like Mikael Wright misses a tackle, and it's the little things, right? It's what what was a five yard gain is now a fifteen yard gain, or even ten. Yeah, there's a big third and,
1: There's a big third and seven that I think Mikhail missed a bad one on with where Tremaine gets the ball like four yards short or something, and Mikhail just yeah. totally whiffs and let him t- lets him take it to to uh, first and goal. Yeah, and
0: then, I mean, it was mostly as good as Stanford looked at times in this first half, it was really Oregon, like, shooting itself in the foot over and over, Um, and it wasn't just like, oh, we should, you know, we're better than this, we should be doing better than this, it's that, it's things like Terrence Ferguson dropping a first down catch on, uh, on third down, I believe. On our first drive, yeah, but he game. didn't
1: see it. He, he didn't see it at first, and then yeah, like just
0: miscommunicate. Like, stuff. yes, we should be doing better there, but we've already done what we need to do. It's just a split moment of like not focusing uh, that causes us to mess that up. Um, Stanford almost muffed a punt right after that, but we forced a three and out anyways. Like that was fine. Um, we had another dropped and- pass on the second drive. And then just that like really weird play from Anthony Brown to on third down. Um,
1: and, and, and that's another thing where, you know, you say the two reasons why Anthony Brown is the starter is so that he can make the big read in a key spot, AKA pitch the ball on fourth and goal in the second quarter. And so that he doesn't turn the ball over and, and make stupid mistakes and miss defenders. And he apt that was a horrible interception. Yeah. That should never happen to a 6 year quarterback. And he did it again later in the game. He threw one mm-hmm. right into the hands of a defender maybe in the third quarter that was, but Yeah. It was batted are... down and he dropped it thankfully, but yeah. Right, but it it was a game where you know you go in and you have the pros and cons list for AB and and it's okay when the things that you had in the cons list like the deep accuracy don't work out you like okay well at least we knew that about him but when you're like okay here we're starting him because of his reading ability and his and his ability to avoid turnovers and interceptions mm-hmm. and then he loses those assets to his game i mean we'll get into it but
0: yeah, we it's we time will
1: talk to more. Evaluate, yeah. you know the future of the quarterback position. I think we we all feel that way this season.
0: Definitely, but, and I mean, but again, let's. The other part yeah. is like, as always, there's a lot of uh, discussion about this in terms of like, you know, um, people get real territorial about. Oh, I already believed in it, or you know, I already knew we should have moved on from Ty or whatever. It's like. We've defended A.B. for quite a while on this show. Obviously, we weren't set in stone that he should be the starter, but, I mean, it, he seemed like he had the gave us the best opportunity to win the game. And I had an interesting thought about this as well um, earlier in the day, actually, before this game started, regarding Georgia. And, I mean, anyone who knows Georgia knows that they have a pretty loaded quarterback room in terms of just raw star talent. But when JT Daniels is out, who do they start at quarterback? Start Stetson fucking Bennett because they know he gives them the best shot to win the game. And you don't see anybody complaining about it, (laughs) Um, even though they have seen, you know, what Stetson can and can't do. So I felt similarly about the Brown situation. That being said, I mean, anyone who watched the games I'm referring to yesterday knows like this situation ended very differently. And A.B. himself said, and I quote, I played like shit uh, in his post-game interview.
1: So, Yeah, um, which, which is just accurate. But I think you made a good point earlier about, you know, I just get frustrated when people get all territorial about the quarterback room mm-hmm. and they start taking victory laps about their takes they had in the summer or whatever. Because the quarterback room and decisions to move on from quarterbacks are a very sensitive thing in college football. Oh, yeah. Or in football in general, and you have the big thing is is there's a process there where the coaching staff has to give opportunity to young guys to show who they are, but also the players and the roster and the team have to collectively kind of decide that they are okay being led by the younger guy, and they have to feel that they are ready for a change in order for it to work. You know, there are people who said we should throw Todd Thompson in at halftime, and that yeah. would not have worked well at all. I don't I, I don't like, think so either. Yeah, you you can't take a team that's four and zero and has invested in one leader, you know, that is the Ohio State game. And the second <laughs> yeah. you hit adversity, you pull them from the game and say, here's a fucking baby face, true freshman. Go go put your entire hopes and dreams in this guy's hands right now. Like people are going to be mad about that. Now that said, you go into the season, Ty Thompson's young, I think, and stand by the fact, Anthony Brown should have started, deserved to start, and ultimately he did exactly what we needed him to do in the Ohio State game. Mm -hmm. That was the type of scenario that we had talked about on this podcast and foreseen as like, he can go in, manage that game, lead this team. And if we're good enough in other places, we can compete in Columbus. And ultimately, we did better than anyone really expected us to do in that game. And we won it, and it worked out great. Now, after he wins that game, you then cannot bench Anthony Brown basically until he loses, Mm -hmm. in my mind. I mean, we weren't going to be able to bench him after Stony Brook or Arizona when he kind of struggles against bad teams because – those games were never even in doubt. So, why? So, it would just be a crazy overreaction that would, I think, shake up the locker room and ultimately do more harm than good to move on from him after that. But now, after this game, is the perfect time to say we can reevaluate the quarterback position in a lot of places to see how we can make this team better and transform it because clearly it's not good enough to compete at the level that fans and I think the players want to be at.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Ohio State game because I was going to make that comment as well. I mean, like, everyone who's <laughs> seen this team knows what the quarterback situation is, of course. Like, Yeah. The problem is a lot of times when you are so zoomed in on a program and you're so hyper-focused on every little thing that goes on every week – um, it's tough to pull your guy. You know, your see, it's tough to pull your season-long starter who won in Columbus, like full stop. Yep. you know. Yep. We did the unthinkable with Anthony Brown. We well, maybe not unthinkable. Maybe that's a little extreme. But we beat fucking Ohio State, man. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm okay with the time, change at this point. Yeah. I'm still gonna stand by the fact that, like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. Say, I know that Ty will be better than AB, and if he is, like, I'm not going to take a victory lap about it. You know, I'm not going to have a parade for it. Um, Ty Thompson could be terrible if he plays. You
1: know, we don't know we, that. Yeah, we know nothing about Ty Thompson. That's the <laughs> issue. Or Butters that? or we,
0: Ashford, whoever we throw yeah, out there, you
1: well, know? They could, I mean, do people not remember literally a year ago what we said about Tyler Shuck and fans? <laughs> A vocal portion of Oregon Twitter saying Tyler Shuck would be a better collegiate quarterback than Justin Herbert, and I I thought he'd be pretty good too. And he came out and he fucking shit the bed every week. And not every week. I mean, he had he had a couple good weeks. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But he threw he he couldn't read a defense. He threw inter, he missed linebackers yeah. and threw dumb interceptions that stopped Oregon from be from ever having a chance of being. A playoff caliber team with him at quarterback, basically. Yeah, um, and there's much and, more discussion to be had about that team, but I, yeah, I do right. agree on that point. Yeah, right, and and ultimately, you don't know until any of the other quarterbacks are placed in the fire of it whether they'll have similar issues where they have confidence confidence issues at this level, or they just miss elite linebackers over the middle and throw stupid interceptions that ruin drives and ruin the flow of this offense. So we don't know. I think what the the thing we do know more than that Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield or Robbie Ashford is going to be elite and take this offense to the next level is that Anthony Brown can't do it. His ceiling is officially too low. When he misses deep throws, but then he compounds that by not being able to make simple binary reads and still adds on that by throwing stupid interceptions you there's just no point in having him here any longer because he's not going to grow at all we all knew this he's not going to progress after this and and he's not going to be at oregon after this year Mm -hmm. so what's the point
0: yeah, I'm okay with that now. Um, again, I would have been much more skeptical of the change before, or definitely during this game. But yeah, uh, same. But I'm but okay now with it. Yeah, the right yeah. time. Now's I the, do believe now is the, the right time. Yeah.
1: Now, now was the gap in the schedule that was circled the entire season was, and, and going into it, what we thought would happen is we'd lose at Ohio State. Yeah. And see what happens from there. But this was always the point when it was, you know, bye week Cal on a Friday, who absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. And then you got have an extra day for a week leading into the big game at UCLA. So this is the time to reevaluate everywhere. And, and I think quarterback is included in that. That said, we don't know if it will happen because – we don't know if the backups actually are capable of running the offense or not like if if they see in practice that those guys are doing what chuck did last year where he threw dumb interceptions all the time we can't do th- we can't play them if yeah. they're not at the point where they can read college defenses enough where like there's a chance where they're still in practice and every single one of those guys is going to average 3 interceptions a game and if that's true, then you can't play them probably. Mm-hmm. So and, and you can't get mad at the coaches for not playing them because they're not ready. And then playing early isn't gonna just like give them experience that helps. It can cripple a quarterback to go out there and absolutely suck
0: mm-hmm.
1: in your first start and it can ruin their entire trajectory at the program if they like lose all their confidence and get the yips because they're not ready to play at this level. Hopefully they are. Hopefully Ty Thompson is, and he probably is, but we don't know that either. We don't know anything about any of those other quarterbacks, really.
0: And the the counter argument to your point of like not throwing someone in the fire um, would be Justin Herbert. Right. Obviously, you know the the perfect metaphor, like his first career pass is an interception against UW, but or in his first start at least. But I think it's worth saying that. Um, how long did it take from for Herbert to win anything as as our starter? I mean, it took literally three and a half years. Um, yeah, to build you, up build yeah. back up our program. Now, obviously, we had yeah, a lot of problems you count, but, yeah. mixed in there too. But the end all be all is that that season was pretty much lost already when we threw Herbert in there. I mean, we were not. Yes. Yeah, that that season was over by by the time he was the starter. Over meaning like we were fighting for a bowl berth at that point,
1: um, which we ultimately didn't get. Didn't
0: get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I remember. I, I was in Corvallis <laughs> for, the, for the final game. Like it was brutal. Um, we're, we have one loss right now, and ultimately, yeah. uh, we I feel like we're coming out of the. We're going to come out of this bye week feeling maybe. Similar to how we would have felt had we, you know, gone with the scripted season route, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we would st- say we lost, say we lost in Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. And say that AB was still inconsistent in the other few games and they kind of went the way they did and mm-hmm. say we like ended up winning this game, right? Um, even if it was close. In that scenario, you still, I, I think we're still kind of at the same place where. Okay, yeah, you know, we're 4-1, but there's a lot of unanswered or negatively answered questions about this team. And I think we can mark down quarterback as a negatively answered question so far. Um, as we say throughout the offseason, like, questions don't have to have bad answers. That just means they're questions. But in yeah. this case, I, I mean, again, we saw, and I want to get into positives from this game in a second too, but we've seen good things from A.B. this season that's it's okay to bench him. It's okay to bench. Yeah,
1: him. I I glad you brought that up though because I I did the same exact exercise kind of because this like I like I said this bye week was always a checkmark like a bye week always is kind of say okay you cut off the first five games and then you get into the slog of the conference slate coming up mm-hmm. in the next seven we have, um, and obviously what people expected or hoped. Honestly, what a lot of people – I don't know. I mean, the most likely outcome was you lose Ohio State, you win the rest of them. There was a scenario where we lose too, honestly, as we can see now. Um, but either way, what we – it is a way better outcome for Oregon to have won Ohio State and lost Stanford than if you flip those results. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's – I mean – Still the the impact of that Ohio State win is so large in the minds in, in what it does for the brand and what it does with recruiting and all that stuff. And that just can't be dismissed in terms of the impact of it. You know, I mean I talked to people who don't even watch college football down here, who just knew I was an Oregon fan. And they're like, Oh, I, Oh yeah. who do y'all be? Y'all beat Ohio state. Right. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we did. And they're like, Oh yeah, I watched that game for like, they don't even follow the sport really, mm-hmm. but they watched the game because that's just what, what it is to play in the horseshoe against Ohio state in a, in a spot like that. So that's still huge for this program, but. We, we get to decide how big we can really make it based on how we turn around the rest of the season because there's a lot in front of this team still. Uh, like you said, getting into into positives, you know, and there were some in this game and, and have been some of the season. Um, but, you know, another positive is just the opportunity that still lies in front of this team. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And the, one thing real quick that I, I want to insert yeah. in here. While you're talking about it, uh, we're not always the biggest fans of Andrew Nemec, of the Oregonian. But I think he made a really good point yesterday in one of his tweets saying um, just, just basically outlining the fact that the Ohio State win was a surprise, right? Maybe yes. it heightened people's expectations a little too much. Um, I, think I, I think even I've fallen victim to that a little bit. Kind of with the mindset of, oh, if we won this game, we should be winning every game, you know. And I think that when you do that, it discounts the amount of growth that this team still has to make um, before we are, are at that elite level. And I think something we've been saying even for the past few weeks still is that, you know, it's pretty clear there's a one and two and then some separation before us. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, we're... Again, our goal for this season coming in when, we, when we, at the outset was conference title, New Year's 6 win. And we're still on that trajectory as long as we take care of business the rest of the way. Now, there is, th- while saying that, there is still improvement that we need to, to make across the board. That's yeah. pretty obvious. Um, but real quick, I, th- I think we should take out some positives. Uh, unless you have anything else to say on that front.
1: Yeah, I, I there's more points I have to make, but I think we can save them as we keep discussing later. They'll probably fit in better then.
0: Okay. Um, positives. I want to start with Devin Williams, man. Um, I think he only ended up with two catches in this game. Maybe three. But they were back-to-back catches, if I remember correctly, both for first downs. Um, and, of course, there was the QB11 put out on Twitter that... Um, Wow, it's, you know, sarcastically, like, it's crazy the amount of separation we get when Devin Williams is on the field, isn't it? Like, that's that's pretty <laughs> interesting. Uh, maybe we should try to give him the ball a little bit more. Completely agree with that. Uh, again, I think he has potential to be our best receiver if he gets that kind of um, volume yeah. thrown towards him. So, I, you know, again, I think that's a little bit of... Maybe a little bit of confirmation bias, but I really thought that was a positive. Um, I think in the second half, again, I've already mentioned this, but the defensive line really took over the game. Um, gave yeah. McKee a lot less time to throw the ball. Stopped allowing dumb rushing yards. Um, again, th- this De- was the... Defense
1: absolutely tightened up at halftime and didn't let anything until the final drive. Well, yeah, literally. I
0: mean, we blanked him until the final drive. So, yeah, I mean, other positives that you can think of? Um, I mean, there weren't a ton in this game.
1: I, I mean, I will say that basically what happened in this game was Oregon started out and slept walk through the first quarter and handed Stanford a 10 nothing lead. And um, mm-hmm. that is a pretty scary proposition. In a game that you're favored by eight points, in you know,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: you're basically turning the game you're favored in into a toss up, uh, by just spotting the team 10 points.
0: That's a great way to think uh, about it.
1: I not thought of it, and then, uh, and then from that point on, Oregon actually, you know, stood up and battled and clawed back into this thing. And they, end of the first half, they, you know. I, I remember tweeting before Stanford got that ball with five minutes left in the half. I said, defense, go out there, make a big stop. Offense gets the ball, big drive, cut it to one possession, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're in this thing going into half. And save one fourth down play at the end. That's exactly what this team yep. as a whole did. Yep. The, the defense went out there, three plays, two yards, three and out. Yep. Uh, go... Go back out there on offense and the offense, awesome 12 play drive down the field. Get yourself to a first and goal, then you're perfect time management as well.
0: Like, we, we were yeah. leaving them very little time to do anything,
1: uh, with and, the ball. <laughs> yeah. And that should have been a touchdown. If Anthony Brown makes the play, it should have been a touchdown. You don't get it. This defense, this team goes into halftime. We hadn't won a game on the down 10-0, I think, in like the last 10 tries or something, they said. I forget the stat. They said it on Hmm. the broadcast. Interesting. But we go in 10-point deficit, and this team comes out of halftime, one bad drive from the offense, but from there on, we put this thing together. Mm -hmm. Our next three drives on offense are awesome, all all with – or the first two, at least, with short fields, Thanks to the defense playing absolutely um, yeah. lights out on their first four, on their all four uh, defensive drives until that final one uh, in the second half. The defense played absolutely lights out, and the offense responded with a touchdown drive of 48 yards, then a drive that likely would have been a touchdown, a first and goal on the Stanford four, if not for an illegal block from Jalen Red. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, just an undisciplined play that cost Oregon points. But again, the Ducks, Camden comes out there, hit his field goal. The Ducks respond again. Defense gets a stop. Offense goes out, back out there, five plays, 80 yards. This was the big turning point in the game. For, well, not the turning point, but a huge, you know, punctuation point in this game or or inflection point or however you mm-hmm. put it, when it felt a little like, and this is why i was scared with brown and and when the que- i mean the questions were rolling in our head this whole game obviously mm-hmm. but it felt like the offense was kind of running out of gas for me for whatever reason i think this was after cj had went down yes um, it
0: was yeah
1: yeah so you're feeling really scared and and well this offense had done well in their first two drives this time we didn't have a good field. We're starting on our 20. Uh, we get a false start to back us up even more. Yeah. And it's like, okay, shit here, here. Yes. We've worked this back to a tie game and we believe we're the better team. But at the same time, this offense still needs to put together a drive without our OC our starting center or starting running back a quarterback that's struggling. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we still have to do something. And, Shout out Micah Pittman for, for making a play on a big-time third and six, 66 66-yard uh, catch-and-run after it, mostly. Yep. Biggest play and of the
0: game, yards-wise and maybe game-state-wise, at the time, at least.
1: Yep, yep. Takes us from our 24 to the Stanford 10 in one play. Yeah. Absolutely massive uh, big play, explosive play that we haven't had a lot of. I think Devin Williams is in there blocking there at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um,
0: like 50 so yards down the field. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and, and you know, awesome for Micah. Micah had another big-time punt return after struggling at times this year in that regard. He had a big punt return that I think set up the drive before that. Um Maybe or or maybe it was the one before that. I forget exactly which which drive it came. Yeah, no, you're you're right. It was
0: it was in the third quarter right before our super long drive with Camden finishing it off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So overall you look at what Oregon did from you know five minutes left in the second quarter until that final drive of the game. And it's an absolutely awesome Mm-hmm. Really, two quarters that the Ducks play. Oh, like, yeah. They...
0: And I mean, again, like part of the reason this defeat was so crushing was just because we had all the momentum at that point. Like you said, we right. hadn't really shown anything terrible. Like we were very clearly the much better team from, as you're saying, end of the second half, other than that one play. Um, and of course, excluding a few plays here and there until that exact last drive of the game. And I also want to mention, just to finish off this this chronological order, so we get the big Micah play. We punch it in instantly um, with Travis. You know, big touchdown, like, gives us the lead 24-17. to Instantly force a three and out on the next possession. Uh, This was, again, it started with the Noah Sewell sack um, and then it was a yep. false start for Stanford, and you know, uh, two plays later, the Ducks have the ball back or earn the ball back. Yep. This is where I think a lot of the the difference comes in between Oregon of past and Oregon of what we have right now. I think in the past, at least a guy like Chip would kind of yeah. I mean, obviously you want to suffocate the game in a close game like this, but I mean, if you score on this drive, that's it. The game is effectively over, right? You don't have to worry about how little time you're leaving Stanford. You don't have to worry about um, like clock stuff as much. Um, you don't have to worry about like playing, def- you know, playing too much de- like playing a defensive possession that could tie the game. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So we yeah. go
0: like 20 plays on this drive. It's not 20, but it's a hell of a lot it's, of plays. No, no, no
1: it's, <laughs> it's a 31 uh, – or it's a 12-play drive, 31 yards, yeah.
0: 12 plays. In, in the two false start penalties are going to get all the credit um, on this drive. Or blame. Or, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but we got to mention that – I mean, Mario did some ballsy stuff on this drive. Like the fourth and one where we went for it, Travis gets the three yards – uh, yeah. even though Byron Cardwell had a, a, few, you know, he had, he had a rough go of things. I mean, it was, they were all on like obvious running situations and, um, he, you know, very clearly like didn't get as good of a chance as other guys to show his stuff. I would still like to see. Yeah. And his, and in,
1: in his three carries, but yeah, know, three carries for five yards wasn't great. I was right. unsure. I, 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 really was surprised by that. Just a sidebar. I, You're I are surprised they didn't stick with Trav. No, no, I thought, I mean, I thought Trav was half dead out there. Like that yeah. was a heroic performance from from Travis Dye, all game. And, and at times it's so funny. I was watching with, with one of my friends who follows football a lot, but doesn't follow the Ducks that closely, but he watches a fair amount with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny because I've, I've seen this in so many Oregon fans and I saw it, I've seen it watching him watch these games with me whenever you show someone Oregon for the first time, they see Travis die out there and they're like, who's this scrub? <laughs> he looks so tiny. He's not wearing gloves. What is he doing? But that dude just earns your respect after a while. He just makes plays, man. Yeah, he um, worked his ass off. He's just off. a slippery, yeah. slippery runner. He works hard. He He's in the right position to catch catch key passes every once in a while. So that was just so funny. But But anyways, what I was going to say is, is I would have thought that Trey Benson was the guy that Oregon would turn to if her down really? goes down. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As, as a carry, as a ball carrier in that position. Um, yeah, I, I, I would have bet that it would have been Trey Benson. I was a bit surprised that Cardwell was the one who ended up getting those, those carries. Um, and I don't know if if Benson was banged up or anything. I mean, given the injury luck of this team, it's safe to assume probably he was. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you just you know, stick a pen at any position or any player on this roster, it's probably better to guess they're injured than not at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: it feels like. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah that that drive um, that drive in general is it's funny, and you know, you said that. Maybe is not what Chip would have done exactly. I'll provide a counterpoint to that. Cal. The drive I kept thinking about. What were you gonna say? What did you say?
0: The Cal game,
1: the Cal game in 2010. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. that was very similar to this drive. But you know, obviously that's not everything Chip has done in his coaching career. But um, it was very reminiscent to that drive until those false starts. Just a just a messy game that we feel like shouldn't have been as close as it did, that we put ourselves in a bad position. And but when you're off when you needed a long drive from your offense, they grind it out and, and kill the game. And this looked like the point that the game was inevitably turning to. Yeah, man. Um, I mean that fourth down conversion
0: starts? again, that fourth down conversion was followed instantly by the two false starts. So what yeah. was first and ten at the Stanford thirty nine with two twenty one to play.
1: You're a first down away from ending the game. Completely. Exactly.
0: Same, I was going to say this, same exact game state as the 2018 game. Um, and you best believe oh, I was already Jesus. having flashbacks when those two false yeah. starts happened. Um, oh, obviously, we get another, like, Cardwell gets stuffed on first and 20. No surprise there. Stanford takes their timeout. Uh, I think that was their second timeout. Um, I wasn't positive, though. Here comes the really stupid part. Um... The incomplete pass on the next play. Now, this play call obviously is going to get the brunt of the criticism. And I also want to talk about some other coaching decisions in this game uh, after this drive. But yeah, the play call is not great. But let's be honest, this should be, I mean, a pretty easy screen pass 10 Uh, times out of 10.
1: I'm fine with passing the ball here my because it's you're giving someone a timeout rather than just an opportunity where you can actually run 40 seconds off the clock i think it's fine to pass it if you think you can get the first down but as a quarterback there this is another poor decision from brown when you're in a second and 18 if you get to third and 18 you're not converting we all know yeah so you have two options as brown either you have an open pass that you take, or if you don't have that, you need to tuck that ball down and just shuffle your way for as many little yards as you can get, get down and force them to b- burn a timeout. If you're not converting a first down, there's no reason to throw the ball at the feet of the running back and and just hand Stanford their timeout back.
0: The scary part, of the, the part about this play that I'm most concerned about, um which is, I, I'm watching the replay right now. There's actually a full replay of this game available on YouTube, at least for the time being. Oh God! Uh, it's a little worse quality than the broadcast quality was. So it's it's really tough to watch, but, I mean, you can tell what happens. And, I mean, I can't, I, I think he's just trying to pass this normally. Um, again, if Die catches it, he's got, like, I mean, he probably gets a minimal gain if that. Uh, he's got a defender right on him. But, yeah. I mean, I think this is just a missed throw by Brown. Um, he, Granted, he's got a guy right in his face, so I think it's Walk who misses this block. Um, I, Yeah, I, the offensive line just screws everything up. Um, and there's a free runner at Brown, but still, like, just if you complete this pass, assuming Travis catches it, at worst, it's like a one-yard loss or a two-yard loss. You can live with that. Again, at second and 18, I kind of considered this drive done for. I mean, usually when you get a holding call on first down, it kills the drive, right? More often than not. And that's essentially what happened with the two false starts. So point being, I mean, I'm kind of not okay with the pass here uh, being as terrible as it was. Now, again... I think the bigger problem I have with the play call is like running it to the short side of the field, maybe. Uh, there's potential to yeah. get out of bounds there. Whatever you do, yeah. just keep that clock moving. Um, again, up until this yeah. point, we had already killed five minutes off the clock on this drive. We did not need to be doing this. Um, so, yeah, obviously, third and 18, like, okay, now we get back to running it. Like, timeout, Stanford. Punt the ball away. It's a decent punt by Sneed down at the 13. Okay, you know, Stanford's got to go 87 yards, and we all know what happened from there. But I want to open this up to broader coaching decisions, because we've seen this multiple times now from Cristobal, where it's very clear that the game was not managed as well as it could have been down the stretch. Stanford 2018 will forever be the benchmark of that um, to set the precedent. I think there were even worse decisions in that game than what happened in this one, and obviously a few fluke plays to add to it um probably even more so than this one again but yeah point being the first of all let, let's just highlight a few different decisions that we may or may not have liked in this game uh there was the first time we went for it on fourth down um in the first half where uh Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, Where um, we're at fourth and goal and, and don't get it. And, oh, yeah. you know, people are quick yeah. to point out that if we kick the field goal there, it's, the game is literally over um, by the end of the second half. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I still like that decision. I think we already kind of covered this. It's no big
1: deal, right? Uh, yeah, I have. Yes, the, the, de- the decision was totally great. And the play call was awesome. And it was a walk-in touchdown if your quarterback pitches the ball. So I, I don't have an issue with that call at all. You don't have the benefit of hindsight knowing how this game's going to end up. We thought we might need all seven of those points mm-hmm. to win the game, mm-hmm. and then we played probably better than we even thought we would in the second half. And it turned out we only needed three points. We we you know if not for the refs, we didn't need any of those points.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was,
1: but you never know how it's going to go, and I think if if you do convert that from the one, you are in a great spot at halftime if it's 14-17.
0: Exactly. Um, the next fourth down decision, again, we already covered Travis Dye, the three-yard run when we were running out the clock. Um, I also like this. Uh, it's a little riskier being at the Stanford 39. I mean, you don't want to give the ball back to him with 60 yards to go. You want to give it Back to him well ideally not at all uh and obviously that's what we were going for we know we can get a yard against this team and we got three you know no problem with that
1: and that yeah and that stanford d line the thing is is their their starters are are solid to maybe good maybe but uh they have almost no depth on that defensive line front and that was the story of of Oregon's offensive success in the second half. And it's been the story for a lot of Stanford opponents. They start to wear down the Stanford front in the second half. Uh, and so at that point, I mean, I remember that fourth and one. And to be honest with you, it's kind of funny looking back at the position now, but I wasn't even really that worried about it. No, um, me neither. You know,
0: yeah.
1: It was a little like, okay, hold your breath, let's not fumble a snap or, or you know, really mess anything up here. But I wasn't I was like, Travis is getting this. You know, I, I, we're getting a push here. I feel good about this call.
0: And the risk didn't feel as great either because, again, our defense had been shutting them out literally in the second half. So, yeah. Um, the timeout decisions, a couple of them maybe maybe a little bit questionable. Um, you know, you point to stuff like uh, when Oregon takes a timeout with 41 seconds left in the game. Um I'm not sure it made too much of a difference because if I remember correctly, Stanford were about to snap the ball. But it's yeah. just the sort of thing that you don't see from the most elite teams and the most elite coaches. Uh, again, ideally, your team is already set to go and you don't have to spend a time out there or with eight seconds left uh, when it's third and goal from the Oregon five-yard line. Um, you know, I, ideally, again, you would just kind of let let that... <laughs> you would you would let your team play with the play you called, and it wouldn't be a big deal.
1: Um, yeah, I, I was fine with that one too. And I think, honestly, if not for the refs absolutely screwing Oregon on the next play, it looks pretty good because what had happened was Stanford gets in a good, in a you know, beneficial spot against whatever coverage we were running, and they complete a slant route basically twice in a row for 13 yards both times Mm -hmm. just kind of eating chunk plays from us uh and you know in doing that they get to our 30 yard line with with 40 seconds left and i thought you know you call a timeout there and you just kind of settle down your team you say hey guys okay we lost our main man kt um that's tough but we we can play with these guys you know big spot here let's tighten up and we got this And Oregon comes out next play and forces an incomplete pass and almost sacks the quarterback. And then the refs gift them 15 yards on one of – I mean, the doorless one is maybe the most ridiculous call of them all. Yeah. And and again, I don't want to get into it too much. But literally, if we just force that incomplete pass and the refs do their job, then it's 35 seconds – and they're from the 30, and we're still in a good spot. Um, yeah. But because of that 15-yard play, then the wheels, yeah, keep going. I,
0: I think the biggest the biggest kind of obvious coaching criticisms we can throw at this one as well are just lack of preparation and lack of focus. Yeah. You wouldn't expect this many penalties from Stanford or Oregon, really, uh, just based on who their coaches are. But we've seen this from Crystal Ball's teams in the past, I guess. And, I mean, it's usually what ends up killing us in a loss like this. I mean, th- can you think of a big Crystal Ball loss where we didn't have, like, a shit ton of penalties and then we just got outplayed? It's really yeah, tough to... I mean, for I'd to... have to, yeah. Maybe Arizona but State, issue... but even then I feel like we had a lot of penalties in that game. Maybe I'm misremembering.
1: I mean, yeah, we just... And the issue was, you know... We both had ten penalties, but Stanford's. Yes, I mean it's bad that they got penalized, but like what the five false were, starts in the second half.
0: Like Exactly. <laughs> I mean they were
1: like, false starts are mental errors, yes, but like when you have, I mean, shout out to the crowd, Oregon crowd, and in, in yeah, that was Stanford's, louder than the home crowd. Know, <laughs> yeah, the the crowd caused some of those, along with. You know, KT and a good defensive front lining up an opposition of you against a you know mediocre offensive line. Those are things that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, those false start penalties. The issue with Oregon was just shooting themselves in the foot with the targeting call off rip from tri- TriQuest Bridges, who could have been used a lot in this game. Was, oh yeah, was one of the breakout players that was highlighted because of his length. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 215 yarders on the um final, on the final Stanford drive were absolute killers as well. Those you know those are big chunk plays and the two fall, the combined two false starts like those are penalty it's one thing when you get a 5 yard penalty and it sets you off schedule a little bit but you still kind of have that idea of balance where Hey, if the defense doesn't respect you running the ball, you rip off a seven-yard run. All of a sudden, it's second and eight, and you're back. You know, you're back to completely balanced. Yeah. But if you get to first and twenty, they know you got to pass it because you're not getting. To, you know what you're going to run it now. You're at second and thirteen. Okay, good for you. Like, but you're still way behind the sticks. Um, mm-hmm.
0: But I mean, yeah. generally speaking, there were penalties. Obviously, time and place is what really killed us with our penalties. But in the first half, yeah. too, I mean, there were quite a few of them that, again, questionable or not, like, it's not, I guess, it's not our place to judge that. Although, I, I wouldn't say it's the referee's place, it. either, <laughs> 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 based on their performance. Um, I mean, they can't happen, you know? Yeah. I yeah. I would say you don't point see point. that out of an elite team, Um yeah. So yeah, but overall, I don't know, man. It's it's one loss. It's it's gonna sting for a while, more so because of the way it happened than uh, what it meant for our season. I think um, because again, we, we did expect one loss along the
1: along the way here somewhere. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of true. But also, if you survive this game. If we literally just survive this game, you know, this is a moment that could be the difference between us making a playoffs or not. Yeah. Um, you know, if we lose one more game, we drop that UCLA game close. If we'd won this game and we drop the UCLA game close, we're probably in the playoffs. If we lose this game and drop the UCLA game close, we're definitely not in it. Um, yeah.
0: And I mean, again, as you're saying, our playoff hopes are definitely not gashed yet i mean we're still number eight no, in the I country would... we still i mean how do we make the playoffs the first year of the playoff
1: yeah <laughs> right it literally this exact thing happened
0: yeah now, and in that case it was at home has... to probably yeah. you know not, yeah. not a great team so
1: well that team was actually yeah, yeah
0: i guess it was pretty good, good but... but didn't they lose crazy like, or something
1: i don't know anyways though i will say Look, no one wants to hear playoff talk right now. This team has a lot to work on. That's first and foremost. But, I mean, for those who are interested in that, and Oregon fans particularly who who are want to know what that kind of thing, what that situation looks like, and maybe don't follow the national playoff race as closely, I would go so far as to say, you know, after this loss, Oregon is, is pretty much in a pretty binary position where you win out you're pro- you're in the playoffs 9 times out of 10 mm-hmm. and if you lose you're guaranteed not in the playoffs yep um but you know ultimately Oregon wins out and they have the Ohio State uh win there Oh yeah we're um, we're getting
0: in if we win out
1: I'm not Yeah, I mean it would take it would take you know Bama and Georgia Staying undefeated until the SEC championship game, and then an undefeated Oklahoma or an undefeated Cincinnati or an undefeated Big Ten champ, two of those three. And, uh, which I don't think is, I don't think that's going to happen. That's a but, good yeah.
0: discussion for the midweek, uh, and right. the,
1: the bye right. week. Right, right.
0: because right. uh, right. we'll see what happens next weekend. Not sure if, since you know we can we can argue about what a what an undefeated cincinnati resume would look like right in the stars eventually but um what i also want to say is that we have to consider this question with the quarterback situation because if you're one of those people who says play tie even if he gives us a you know maybe a lower floor he's going to give us a higher ceiling um if you're gonna do that, I don't know how much playoff talk you can insert into this conversation because again, totally unproven. We have not seen anything from college Ty Thompson that tells us he is definitively better than Anthony Brown yet. Um,
1: yeah, we'll, we'll have to see I mean I think we know we know based on his arm talent that you know we're gonna complete a deep ball with him, probably that we haven't with a B. That's we true, don't know yeah. About his consistency and his reads and his ability to operate the offense and all of that. Um, and yeah, we know
0: Browns were bad and can be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, I mean, look at this second half. It, it worked pretty damn well for a while. So. And again, you can't ignore the Ohio State evidence. I know it doesn't necessarily correlate to the... It it doesn't conform to the rest of our sample size this season and all the other games. Right now, it's looking like an anomaly rather than the norm from this team. But, I mean, there were a lot of things that went very well in that game for us because of Anthony Brown. So I'm, I'm just asking people not to forget that. You know, And if we yeah. do see A.B. trotting out on, onto the field against Cal, like, don't be booing him, man. <laughs> because all yeah. that means is that Joe Moorhead and Coach Cristobal think that he gives us the best chance to win this game um, and to yeah, make the I... playoff at the end of the season. Now, if there's a second loss, again, this is a better question for midweek, but then we can open up the discussion about whether or not um, we you know, more definitively what we should do moving forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I I think it's the, you know, the coaches are going to have to be willing to give those young guys an opportunity. But again, it's about the locker room, too. And and I think a Cristobal quote, and, and it was a recent press conference, I forget which, that went kind of unnoticed, was he was talking about Anthony Brown And he kind of slipped in there that he could, you know, last year he could feel the locker room and the players kind of start to gravitate towards Anthony Brown as the year went on. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we saw happen. And
0: And we've seen that this year for Brown. I mean, players defending him before and after the Ohio State game. Um,
1: Yeah, and and I think it's safe to say that's what ultimately kind of happened with Tyler Shuck was the players in large part, you know, were probably a, a portion of the reason that he left because they were excited by the opportunity to play under Anthony Brown and in going to packed and going to the Oregon media day and actually interviewing players at that point, Anthony Brown was a very clear quarterback one. Mm-hmm. And you heard that, I I heard that in person, sitting across the table from, you know, dozens of players. We trust Anthony Brown to lead this team from the other quarterbacks talking about, you know, Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson talking and Robbie Ashford all saying, yeah, we have a we have a really strong quarterback room. It's fun to compete with these young guys. And, you know, we're going to be good for years to come after Anthony Brown is our leader this year. They mm-hmm. all kind of understood that he was the guy going into the season. And that's why I pushed back so heavily on people, you know, or I mean, I don't know how heavily I pushed back, exactly, but that's why I, at least internally, didn't really like people who were so bashful on Twitter going into the season about how AB was a scrub and he couldn't play and we had to start tied because it wasn't going to happen at that point. There and a lot no of way because yeah what we're going
0: to say I, a lot of that also can comes down to the fact that in the offseason especially minds change quicker than depth charts at yeah. the end of last if you just take i mean take a look at our last games which again yes you have some practices and some uh, you know workouts and stuff in between if you take the sample size of in game which is what really matters and you go from the no. end of la- like if you st- if you took a poll of opinions at the end of last season, which maybe exists somewhere, I don't know, and you knew Shuck was transferring, or even take it at the time of Shuck's transfer, and you say, who would you like to be starting the starting quarterback next season, over 50% of the fan base, easily, probably more like 80, is going Anthony Brown. You know,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, it's great we have Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford, but those guys are unproven. Don't know what we're really getting out of them. We've seen good things from Brown, uh, in, you know, obviously he helped win us the Pac 12 championship game. Um, and the locker room really likes him and the coaches really like him and he, you know, he can be a game manager. And if you add on top of that, um, that we would win in Columbus with Anthony Brown, I mean it jumps to like ninety nine percent, but it's all right. this off season chit chat is every like that is what all this this Ty Thompson stuff has become. Um, it's that you know, sure maybe he's been doing a little bit better than AB in practices and stuff. Um, is that really what's going to win you over? Like, are you being serious or is that just confirmation bias? Because that's not and do generally we even speaking. Know that he is <laughs> no, we do. We don't know that, by the way. We like <laughs> that, those are literally from right. warm-ups in practice because that's what the media is allowed to see. So, yeah, man. I, I guess I just ended up defending AB again for a while, but um, I don't know. I I really really hate the uh, know-it-all isms that come out of the grain when. Maybe gets benched next week. If he gets benched, again, I would not be surprised to see him out there again against Cal. I mean,
1: I yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised to see him out there again. I think a lot of people wouldn't. I, I think a lot of I think more fans though are, are going so far as to say, oh, Cristobal can't make personnel decisions. <laughs> Cristobal's track record is he only plays old guys, he only does this. Guess what? He switched quarterbacks to Anthony Brown last season. He we yeah. played Anthony Brown full series in the Fiesta Bowl. He made a quarterback switch. People over the young guy
0: over, over the quote that. developing quarterback who was supposed to be yeah. like the future of the program or whatever. People weren't batting an <laughs> eye about that because it was the right decision. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, and and that and and people I, people because that season. You know, they think of it as a full season. They think, well, we didn't do that until the bowl game. But again, it was a six game season <laughs> yeah. that we, you know, <laughs> that we did it in game five or whatever it was. We started in, or game six, I guess it was in the uh, Pac 12 title game. We started playing him in, in short yardage. And then by what would be the midway point of a normal season, he was t- splitting reps and pretty clearly on the road to being a starter, which he eventually became in the offseason when Chuck transferred, you know, I mean, this is speculation, but I think it's kind of easy to connect the dots because he wasn't going to start again, or at very least his job was going to be in serious jeopardy. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, the the thing about Mario not being able to make personnel decisions, that's bullshit, man. I mean, he started a fucking walk-on kicker last year when he needed to. Um, yeah, which is another issue, but I don't even want to get close to that.
1: So, but the issue is that people see a sliver of the information that the staff has in terms of practice reps and all the work they do with the team and, and how they know the team treats the rest of the players and who they want to play for and everything. We don't have all that information and, you know, reckless decisions from coaches are what get them fired
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah
1: taking a team that won in columbus and you know turning that into a train wreck because some freshman isn't able to execute and then some people decommitting or you know whatever it is like i think that's kind of a doomsday scenario that i Again, I have faith in Ty Thompson for the most part if he comes out there. Like, I'm I'm, I'm very optimistic about it, at least. Exactly. That's a great um, word and, for it, yeah. And I would be excited if he did come out as the starter against Cal. But yeah. if he doesn't, I'm not going to say Cristobal is a horrible head coach.
0: Yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying that. Um, all right, so... Let's wrap it up with some observations from this game specifically. Um, as always, haven't watched the tape yet. Hopefully I can do that tonight. Um, and then I don't know when or if QB11 is doing another stream, but keep on a lookout for that because that's where we're going to learn a lot about this game. Um, biggest position group win of the day for me is wide receiver. Obviously, it's not going to show up on the stat sheet because the quarterback play wasn't great and because the play calling didn't spread the ball out a ton. And a lot of that was situational. Obviously, in the second half, we were doing a lot of clock killing and sort of suffocating the game because that is our our formula for winning at this point. Uh, I mentioned Devin Williams had a good game. Uh, Micah Pittman obviously had the literally biggest play of the game um, from a yards perspective. Uh, the downfield blocking from all three of those guys was great. Uh, Jalen Red included in that. Red had a couple carries. Uh, I don't know if he had a catch, but he had a couple ca- like sweeps in this game, and he did well yeah. with those. Um, Hudson, who was a guy I would love to see uh, rebound from, obviously the the overblown drama from last week, uh, got got a catch in there. So I think the wide receiver group is kind of the biggest positive I can take away from this game. I think it's clear that if we have the right guy getting them the ball, um, they can do something special when they have it. Defensive line, I also mentioned is kind of the biggest thing. And in that vein, I kind of got to go with uh, like if we're doing MVPs, which we always forget to do until too late. um, I think I got to go with Oh, it's tough to know. I, I think I'm going to go with Micah Pittman for offense. Obviously, he only had he only touched the ball once on offense, but he also had that punt return that really set us up. This is a guy yeah. that can make big plays. I mean, this has been his mojo for his entire time at Oregon. Um, if you get Micah the ball more, he will make big plays, period. I could also see Die getting it, or maybe even Verdell if you want to go that route, but Personally, I I'm going with uh, with Micah Pittman. You got an offensive MVP in mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll take the obvious one, Travis Dye. I we talked about it earlier, but I mean, it was a big time performance from him. He he steps up. He just finds a way to get the job done, and um, he would definitely be getting my game ball if uh, if it was if it had been a win. And I, I mean, especially the cj injury is is a facet of this that we have to discuss Mm -hmm. probably on the midweek pod or or something um that is one of those things where this loss hurts and then i i start to feel better about it and i have then i have those moments where i'm like oh shit yeah cj's out probably for a, a good while yeah um yeah, Cristobal said in post, it's, I
0: think he used the, the phrase significant injury.
1: Yeah, so. and as, as good as Travis is and was today, I think having Travis die with his size get, you know, <laughs> upwards of 25 touches a game mm-hmm. is probably not sustainable. Um, but today, <laughs> or yesterday, Travis played very well, and and he deserves credit for that for sure.
0: Defense, you got a defensive um, MVP. I'm trying to think through it. Maybe like Doorless for me, but I don't know.
1: I'll go uh, Keon Ware Hudson. Oh, that's good a good one. Game. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really come on this year. I said this on Twitter. He, he's been having a breakout season, um, and put in another good performance today. Uh, he had two quarterback hurries along with you know a combined sack and tackle for a loss um, and a pass deflection. So he he had a big game and has stepped into a real bright spot on this defensive line.
0: I think I'm gonna go, uh, I don't know, I'm gonna step back a little bit from how I usually do this. Um, obviously, Sewell didn't have the game that he usually does. Because he usually does extraordinary things, and in this game he only had six tackles instead of like the 11 to 14 that he usually gets. Um, And obviously he was banged up a little bit during this game. It's something we see quite a bit now uh, where where Sewell goes down for a little bit and then he's back in the next drive. Um, It's always just scary. That's all I'll say about that. Maybe Jamal Hill, just because of the... um, journey he's had this season. Obviously, he and DJ James were suspended yeah. for a while. He comes back, has a decent game. From what I remember, like, off the top of my head, I don't remember any, like, big coverage mishaps from him.
1: I just remember Lend him... the team in solo tackles.
0: Yeah, had some solid ones as well. And for the most part, he was... With his tackles, we saw this a lot where, like, yeah, Nate Hukalani got a lot of tackles, but there were at least a couple where they got. They ended up getting those two or three extra yards. In a game of inches, in a game that goes to overtime, you can't be allowing that sort of stuff. Uh, I can't remember who said this on Twitter, but somebody mentioned that, like, Flo is standing those guys up, and that becomes a zero-yard gain instead yeah. of a two- or three-yard gain, you know? There was yeah, one absolutely. specifically where uh, Hukulani had a guy in the backfield, um, and what, what should have been a TFL ended up being, like, a three- or four-yard gain. So... And that happened multiple times. So I, and what I'm getting at is, from what
1: I remember, I don't
0: think Hill was the victim of any of those. So I'll give it I, to Jamal. I,
1: I, I have to mention too. I think it would. I think um, for me, this this was this kind of an obvious one. Um, but Mikhail Wright had an awesome yes. game today. Um, he really didn't deserve to have that touchdown caught on him. He Broke that up, I thought. Mm-hmm. And he also absolutely, as we talked about, horseshit fucking P.I. call to end the game. Just horrible. Um, That he, shout out to him for big spot, making a completely clean breakup of the pass when he's getting grabbed by the offense. In and, the biggest play of the game. <laughs> yeah, in the biggest play of the game, he stepped up and won the team the game And then the refs took that away from him. Um, But this was a McHale game that was almost a signature game for him. Stanford gives a lot of corners trouble. And man, McHale just finds a way to be bigger than he is against those Mm -hmm. big receivers. He just always gets his hand in there and breaks up a pass. And um, this was one of those games where he stepped up and looked every bit of the you know, borderline five-star recruit that he was coming out of high school. So i to got to mention him as well.
0: Um, Any other guys you'd like to mention before we kind of move on from this terrible, awful, no good, very bad game?
1: No, not really. I think one one thing I want to do, and I think we're, we're pretty far into this, so we should save this for the midweek. But kind of a teaser for that. I want to go go through this roster a little bit. Look at who's getting playing time and yes. talk about. I think fans really don't understand, especially the group that's calling for Cristobal's head, which I think is ridiculous. But small minority, but, but they but don't. Yes, very. Yeah, ridiculous. small, small majority, minor, minority. But I think people don't understand how long it actually takes to build up an elite college football roster in the right way and this Oregon team if you really look at how they've recruited Oregon didn't start bringing in truly elite top 10 classes until that 2019 group headlined by Kayvon and Mikhail and Mace and Micah mm-hmm. um, and that group is true juniors right now yeah uh, or third years um, and went through a COVID season that cut off some of their experience. So this roster, why this is a disappointing loss, but why I don't lose faith in Cristobal is because I don't think we're still close to the ceiling of this program. It's troubling that we don't put our opponents away sooner and the coaching errors sometimes and the mistakes and the fact that we didn't come out hot you know, come out more ready for this game. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of growth that can happen on this team. And I think some fans just see, oh, high recruiting ranking. Our roster is really talented. We're a top, you know, six roster in the country right now. Yeah. That's not true. No. Alex Alex Forsyth is playing center for us. I mean, he didn't in this game, but <laughs> You know, he's not a five-star or he's not Kelvin Banks. George Moore, not Kelvin Banks or Kingsley Sue Uh TJ Bass is a Juco player. Mm-hmm. These, those guys are not the model for what a championship-level Chris Ball team is going to look like. Anthony Brown, not a high-rated uh, recruit at quarterback. Running back the same way. The wide receivers that are veterans are playing, similar thing. A lot of the players on this team, even though the youth of this team is really talented and we're going to get a lot better and those guys will play eventually, the guys that are actually getting snaps right now are still, you know, more of top 15 roster caliber than they are like recruiting at the they are of the classes we're bringing in where we're recruiting close to on par with the Ohio States and Alabamas and uh, Georgia's, you know, just a small tick below, but that's what, that's the roster we're going to build towards, but our roster isn't quite there yet. And people get that confused. And I think that going back through it really position by position and looking at who's playing would help show people kind of, the progress that this team still has to make from a talent perspective over the next coming years.
0: I agree. And I puke Grello brought up a good point in your mentions after the game as well, Mm -hmm. That uh, to quote him, the simple answer is kick-ass recruiting isn't an instant fix. And that's true. I mean, you still have to develop talent. Uh, I still think it's a little early to determine how this staff develops talent, especially because the staff keeps changing every year in such drastic positions like OC and DC. Um, But overall, I mean, you look at a guy like Dorless, Like Salavas molded that guy into a fucking beast, and he was what a three star. Yeah, Um, yeah. There are bits and pieces of evidence. And these guys,
1: yeah, yeah. And it's and it's about. I mean, Chris Wall has has done well in the past with guys that weren't his guys. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're we're excited to see a roster full of his guys. You know, quote unquote. And we're not there yet, is my point. You know, George Moore and Alex Forsythe are a lot more similar to Throckmorton and Jake Hansen yeah. than they are to Jackson Powers-Johnson and Kinkley mm-hmm. Um, And so we, ju- we just haven't gotten to a point yet where Chris Ball has gotten a full group recruiting at the caliber that he wants to come into the program and develop them for the three to four years necessary, and get a roster full of those guys, and put this thing into hyperdrive, and we're like one or two years away from getting to that point. But um, we're there's still growth to be had in that in that uh, exactly aspect. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, let's wrap this up. Uh, we'll touch on Pac-12 games real quick, and then maybe just mention a couple national games uh, before yeah. we get out of here. Let's go through our picks of these Pac-12 games. Um, We had mostly the same ones. I think you ended up 2-2, and and I ended up 3-1. So, you know, I I wouldn't wear that as a huge badge of honor because it's basically impossible to predict Pac-12 games. Um, First one of the day, did you watch any of USC Colorado? No, I didn't. didn't. Yeah, I, I had it on like, for a couple minutes, and I was like, this game is over. I saw the Drake London catch, and I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need to watch this. Um, yeah. USC 37, Colorado 14. USC covers the stupidly slow seven-point, or stupidly low seven-point spread. We both got that one right. Uh, the one we differed on, Cal and Wazoo, I actually watched, like, a gross amount of this game, just having it on beside the Oregon game. At times it was kind of nice because I could look over and see something that wasn't as difficult or that was somehow more difficult to watch than the organ game itself. Um, Wazoo mm. 21, Cal 6. I don't want to say anything else about this game um, except that I somehow correctly picked Wazoo to cover. And they did.
1: Uh, OSU... I mean, what, 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 I, what I do want to say about this game is Cal looks pretty bad. And yes. Oregon yes. <laughs> yeah. Oregon
0: Cal. Washington Cal's looking there. like the worst team at the north, uh, in the north at yeah. this point in time. Speaking of bad teams in the north, Washington loses to Oregon State twenty four twenty seven. Beavs put this one away. That was a nice. The last second. That was field a nice goal. little
1: pick me up in the. Uh, yes. In, in response to Oregon's losses, nice to see Washington go down.
0: Yeah, that that was really cool to see. Um, good for the Beavers, man. They're what four yeah. in a row now. They're four and one. So. Again, it's always always nice to have a an important in
1: state rivalry at the end of the year. That's always fun. And I continue to be on the Beavers should be ranked.
0: They should. Yes, they should. Rank
1: the beeves
0: Facts. They didn't get ranked this week, did they? I don't think they did I'm, now. I'm checking it. Nope. Didn't get in. Um the, they the got twenty seven they um, got twenty seven votes, which puts them at like effectively twenty eighth. So they were like, Bittin'. it's coming. Yeah. It, they're getting there.
1: Go ahead. We got Wazoo next week too. Should um, be a win. Yeah. The other, the other big game obviously was the Pac-12 South matchup and yep. we both got this one wrong, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, we did. Yeah, ASU man.
0: 42, UCLA 23.
1: Yeah. That was a really interesting game. Um, kind of changes how you think about UCLA a bit for me at least, um, and in general, I think UCLA probably a little bit um, a little bit worse than we thought initially. Maybe mm-hmm. um, shut out in the second half. At least worse half. than we thought r- right after that that uh, LSU game. You know, another interesting result. Fresno, common opponent between UCLA and Oregon, lost to Hawaii. I don't know if you saw that one at all. No, I was I was dead asleep. I
0: also I went to a concert late last night, so oh. yeah. Gotcha.
1: Um, so, anyways, UCLA is is has gone from a team I thought was was top twenty to more of the around thirty range, I guess. Because LSU's looked worse. Fresno State looks a little worse. And now this performance was pretty bad. I think Arizona State's pretty solid. And now it looks like Arizona State might be representing the Pac-12 out of the South. As we talked about before this game, uh, you know, it was a big one because Arizona State avoids uh, Oregon on the other side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're a solid team. They have an easier schedule than most. They're favored uh, next Friday by nine and a half over Stanford right now. That's going to be a good um, game. Which will be an in, yeah an interesting game. But overall, I mean, you know, Arizona State really is, and we're, we're going to get into the Pac-12 picture more probably on midweek or, or during this bye. But you look at this just right now, um, You if UCLA drops that game to Oregon, all of a sudden Arizona State is has a very clear path to a South. Victory. 100%, uh, yeah. uh, Division title. Um, And
0: you look at them nationally, I mean, mean, their only loss is to a number 10 now, BYU. That's not a terrible resume. They
1: played them close. They played them very close, honestly. Um, And, you know, we'll get into it again, like I said, but the North is starting to look interesting, too. That's another thing we didn't mention about this game for the Ducks, we'll have to get into, but. Ducks haven't lost an early season conference game like this in a little while, um, at least not since since, since twenty since twenty eighteen in Stanford. <laughs> yeah, since twenty eighteen yeah. against Stanford. Yeah, um, but it's a little hairy, you know. If now we need another Stanford loss, luckily they have one conference loss already. Um, but there are the Beeves too, and mm-hmm. that game you know, at the end of the year is going to be real. I'll say if Oregon plays, if Oregon doesn't fix some things, they will lose to Oregon State. And Oregon State right now looks like a serious contender for this division. They do, Um, yeah.
0: I mean, if we just pull up the... the... Go ahead.
1: They are the second best team in this division. I, I feel good about saying that. Maybe there's an argument for Stanford, but they... Oregon State is a good bit better than Wazoo, Cal, and Washington. Um, they're probably a, a bit better than Stanford as well, and they're probably a bit worse than Oregon. But they're damn close. Uh, and or- if Oregon doesn't fix some things, they can lose that game for sure.
0: Definitely right. And as it stands, Beavs lead the North. Only team that's undefeated in in conference from the North. Uh, the only other two undefeated teams. In the conference, in, in conference play, that is, uh, Arizona State obviously is also 2-0. Utah's 1-0 um, with that win over Wazzu. And they had a bye this week.
1: So yeah. we'll see what Don't happens Don't expect there. that to last. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. They play at USC next weekend. Okay. Um,
1: from, from the national ones... You want me to just run through yes. a few that stood out to me? Exactly. Yeah, okay. So, Friday night, we have Iowa makes a big statement over Maryland. Right. They start to look like a legit top five team. Um, yeah, we're, we're sorry for knows. doubting
0: you, Iowa. They're officially off of Fraud Watch.
1: Yep. Uh, Texas A&M goes down to Mississippi State. Uh, A&M's kind of bottoming out there. Um, that was an interesting result.
0: Major fraudulence. Two big
1: ones two big ones at the top obviously we mentioned you all know it Bama and Georgia look like they're playing a different sport right now than the rest of the country yeah um there's a reason i was i was looking at national title odds during this week and it was Bama and Georgia tied at mine, tied at plus 175 sorry and the rest of the field i think the next highest was Oklahoma at plus 1000 wow um wow so those two are running away with the national title conversation so far. Um, but interestingly, the rest of the SEC, is, uh, they're not bad at all. But with Florida going down, which which I was about to mention, Florida goes down to Kentucky, the SEC's bid for three playoff teams looks pretty questionable now, I would say, with how Ole Miss and Arkansas got dominated and A&M falling out. True, But it seems more than likely that they get – two and bam and georgia and um yeah watch out for auburn too
0: i mean obviously they don't have a they played one conference game and it was a win and it was obviously a very tough one in death valley uh this this is looking like the type of year that auburn just randomly beats bam at the end of the season i'll just put that out there i like that
1: i like that shout it'd be a lot of fun wouldn't it yeah yeah (laughs) um michigan uh Nice statement win against a Wisconsin team that is now officially confirmed. I think they're not very good. They've had three games that have just been against really good teams, and or pretty good teams at least, in Michigan, Notre Dame, and Penn State. And they've lost them all in a similar fashion, each one kind of more disappointing than the last. Uh, Wisconsin could still put a threat up to Iowa down the road maybe if they get things right. But right now they've not been a very good team since the big statement went over Notre Dame mm-hmm. and all of a sudden really crafting kind of a bona fide path to the playoff for the group of five. If they went out, I think they're probably in, but we can talk about that more later. Did yeah. you see any of that game?
0: I did. Yeah, that was my, uh, my third screen. We had three screens after mm-hmm. this game and it was fucking awesome. It was the first time we really had a nice, like setup going in the living room. I also watched some of that mm-hmm. Michigan game at the beginning and dear God, that was so hard to watch. Um, yeah, I had to just turn it off like to soccer because I, I seriously could not watch Wisconsin play football. Um, it yeah. was it was making me angry, just trying to root for them and like watching Grand
1: Mertz do what he does. Yeah, I, I couldn't watch it.
0: Um, some other the, results. The, uh, go
1: ahead. last two last two I really wanted to mention were kind of similar stories here. First off, Oklahoma had actually a good win mm-hmm. against Kansas State a team that isn't bad and this was a game that unlike a lot of uh Oklahoma's games this one was actually not as close as the final score. Yeah. Oklahoma was up three scores in the fourth and uh and Kansas kind of did some some Triggery. stuff to pull yeah. it close at the end. Yeah, but it it was actually a good win for Oklahoma. That was kind of a get right spot for them heading into a big game against Texas next week. And then the other one that I think Ducks fans, of course, will be extra interested in is Ohio State looked legit on Saturday, 52 to 13. This is the first game we've seen out of Ohio State this year where they actually looked like Ohio State of old. And this is a result that those top three Ohio State teams put on paper uh, against a Rutgers team that isn't horrible and they win by you know Rutgers played mm-hmm. Michigan a seven point game last week uh, mm-hmm. and hasn't lost other than that and and Ohio State absolutely demolished them so the Buckeyes could be trending towards uh, you know getting back in their groove they're seventh now they have Penn State at the end of October I was going to mention
0: that because Penn State had a big win over Indiana as well where they shut them yeah. out
1: the entire game blanking yeah. Uh, Don't look now, but Ohio State could get back into this discussion if they, you know, get right again. So we'll see how they how they shape up down the road.
0: um, Another one to mention: Kentucky beating Florida. Uh, Florida is officially fraudulent this season. uh, Now, I I think it's okay to say that, or maybe it's a case that Kentucky's more legit
1: than we thought. Uh, I do. I I wonder though if Florida gets back up for this Georgia game and and at least gets makes it close like they did against Bama. We'll see. I don't know, they man. Are,
0: they still got a trip to Death Valley before they play Georgia.
1: So yeah, I I but think it's just classic. I could see them losing in Death Valley and still, you know, maybe not beating Georgia, but playing that game closer than people think because Mullen just always. Seems to get up for the get his team up for big games and be totally flat for the for the less notable ones. Yeah, we'll see about that. Um
0: <laughs> good for Kentucky though. They're five and 0 don't look now. Uh three and zero in conference play, so good for them. The wins coming over Mizzou, South Carolina, and Florida. Um there was they're up man. to number sixteen in the AP. Oh my god. Kentucky, really?
1: Wow. wow. They were unranked, unranked last week to too. 16. Uh, I don't know about that exactly. They did play Chattanooga to 5 points and South Carolina to a 6 point win and Missouri to a 7 point win. game so, management uh, I'm baby. Gonna, I'm going to I'm going to call BS on that one, but uh That's
0: fair. Um <laughs> what else do we got here? Uh obviously Auburn the big win over LSU in the night game. That was that was fun if you were able to catch some of that like me um michigan state got a win texas escaped tcu that was close for a while got a great red river showdown next weekend that's going to be a lot of fun um we got a&m and bama Uh, you mentioned a&m losing to mississippi state but i don't i don't know how relevant that is because i don't really know how relevant a&m is anymore um
1: penn state iowa next weekend man it's gonna be huge that's a massive top game. Top four matchup, three and four. Wow. Yeah, It's going to be real interesting. And look, guess what, man? Penn State, or, or uh, well, either way, whoever wins that game, Cincinnati is likely, unless Oklahoma jumps them, going to be the number 14 wow. if Cincinnati wins. Six uh, weeks into the Temple. season. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean – Good for them. Have a, they have a path here, man, and good for them. I'd be, I would be happy to see them as a football team, as a you know, as a college football fan in the playoff, as long as that doesn't cost Oregon. I, yeah, I'm definitely. All for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing I, I would like to say real quick that I tweeted out at the end of the last game was that like
1: when you lose to Stanford,
0: there's no patting anyone on the back. There's no like, you know, sometimes even when we lose to the Beavers, as much as I hate to say it, I. Recently, you know, especially last season, I've had the thought that, like, you know what, that's good for them. Like, Jonathan Smith's been working for this; he he deserves it; he earned it. Um, this program deserves better than the like lack of bowl game every season. Uh, we know the Beavers can be better than that. Nobody likes Stanford. Nobody gives a flying fuck about Stanford. It's really fucking <laughs> annoying when their biggest game of the season doesn't even fill half of the stadium every year. Um, Stanford being good in the Pac-12 is good for nobody, including Stanford, because they don't care. So, yeah, that's my quick little Stanford rant. I just hate them so much. Like you said, big win for Cincinnati. That was nice to see. Um, bro, how have we not talked about UMass and UConn coming up next weekend? Huge matchup. Oh, my God. Huge game. Somebody's got to win, statistically. Um... Yeah, I, I think we kind of covered all our bases here. You got any other matchups you want to mention that happened this weekend?
1: No. No, I think we hit it all. And I would just say, you know, we have a chance here during this bye week to, you know, talk more about the Ducks, analyze it all, and talk about whatever, whatever else people are interested in. So, yeah, you know, go at us on Twitter, either at me personally at MF underscore read. Your folk at folk said three is that right? Yeah, or the easiest way is at ducks pod on Twitter. Give us questions or topics or whatever on there. Uh, we got some time to get into whatever with this bye week, so yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Uh, Like you said, I think a roster review is in order, something we usually do throughout the offseason, but um, you know, it's, it's a good chance to kind of reset right now. Uh, FPI watch, don't look at it. I, I made the mistake of pulling it up today, and it's... Bro, they got they got Pitt and Clemson ahead of us as making the oh, percent God. of making the playoff. That's all I have to say oh, about God. that. Um, rankings, I don't really want to cover right now. It's not really relevant at this stage anyways. I mean, I would like yeah. to be ranked ahead of a team that we beat uh, instead of right behind them, but whatever, man. We'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, this team's got issues to solve of their own and if they do it then then there's still a lot in front of them and if not then
0: i guess i shouldn't say we'll we will be out. complaining I say the about rankings, rankings. Will figure it out
1: yeah the yeah. rankings will be
0: yeah. sorted anything else you got to say before we sign off nope i think we hit it all man <sighs> me too um Ugh. stay safe everybody stay healthy rate us five stars if you like us and if you don't then tell us why and we'll get better Thank you for listening, as always, and go Ducks!
1: Go Ducks!